Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Brews on the Balcony Midweek Show. I am your host, not much of one, but still a host. My name is Zach Zook, and I am one part of a four-person panel that we do on the BOTB Live Show every Sunday morning before the noon games, if you're new to the Midweek Show. Uh, hopefully, most of you have been tuning in for a couple weeks since we started doing this at the beginning of the year, but if you're new... We have started the midweek show as kind of a way to break down the games that have occurred on Sunday, since we don't really get a chance to do that on the live show. And we have quite a week in the NFL this week. we got to talk about the refs again. We have talked about it a little bit, but it is just becoming such an issue. And we had the latest and greatest uh, in the Lions-Packers game on Monday night. Then I got some takeaways from the 49ers and the Rams, a huge showdown of the uh, NFC West, uh, huge playoff implications in that game, and uh, how good did the 49ers look. And then we're going to talk a little Jalen Ramsey trade. So we're not even going to touch the, the AFC today, the shitty AFC. We're going to stick strictly... Uh, in the NFC. But first, we got to give a shout-out to our sponsors. Cafe Telegraph is where we have the live show in South County, St. Louis, right by the river uh, every Sunday morning. They are fantastic. It really is a great place to watch uh, a football game. TV's all over the place, cold beer, good food, big menu, big selection. Uh, Cafe T is great. Uh, we have Kay Roberts from Remax Gold as our next sponsor. She is a great real estate agent in the St. Louis area. It helped TJ close on his house. Uh, they are finally moving. If you listen to the Brews on the Balcony, you know, their main show, uh, TJ closed on a house, and Kay Roberts is the one helping him do that. We have STL Distillery, and you got to try their brew vodka. Tell them. Brews on the Balcony sent you. You'll get a free tour and a free tasting. We also have Sarah Barron with Family Finance Mortgage. She can help you refi on your mortgage or uh, just help you get one started. So those are our sponsors for Brews on the Balcony. We are incredibly grateful to them because we would not be able to have this if it wasn't for our fantastic sponsors. So a shout out to them and let's get into the podcast. First thing is first, we have to talk about this Lions-Packers Monday night football game because it was a doozy. And as a Packers fan, you probably think I'm going to get up here and defend what happened on Monday night and be biased. I am not. The Lions, I think, were hosed on Monday and I have some takes about it, and I'll tell you what, Twitter was ablaze with the hot takes on Monday, and I want to kind of go through all the angles of this story because I have a couple of opinions on it where I feel for Lions fans and hope that the officiating changes. Obviously, that has been a drum that the entire BOTB football panel uh, has been beating for really the duration of the season, but some of the stuff I saw on the internet after the game, particularly Twitter, I know Twitter's not real life, but some of the stuff I saw was a little outrageous, and I think we have to be careful about slamming the officials uh, and, and how it makes you come off as a fan base, 
and because because there's two ways to do it, and I think that uh, what we saw on Monday, and it was it was rightfully so, but it was a little out of control. And let's start with the game. Great game between two division rivals. The Packers now with the win. Uh, they get two illegal hands to the face penalties, the second of which enables them to run the clock out and basically trot out Crosby for an extra point walk-off. They're able to do that. It was of such importance and playoff implications on the line that had the Lions won, they would be in first place in the North, which is the best division in football, hands down right now. And since they lost, they're now in last place in the North. And... Here is where I will defend the Lions fans. The hands-to-the-face calls were bogus. Trey Flowers, who was taught by possibly the greatest coach of all time, who is a defensive guy, and Bill Belichick, had never been called for hands-to-the-face in his career and has probably some of the cleanest technique of any edge rushers in the league. This The second one, I think, is really the one you can bitch about because... They see the jumbotrons, the officials do, just like the players and the fans. And after you call the first one, you realize you get it wrong. To then throw the flag on the second one is really, really bad, in my opinion. And I would love to see the NFL start holding officials accountable like they do players. They hand out player fines like uh, slices of pie. And they, I think, need to do the same thing for the officials because they just kind of skate. It doesn't really matter. Now, I know they get reviewed at the end of the year, and all of this goes into their grade, but there really aren't any repercussions. And with as much money as on these games now, with gambling becoming legal, and more eyes on the NFL than ever, it just it's too important for the officials to get this stuff wrong on a consistent basis. And I'm in the officials' corner from the standpoint of, I think it's the league's fault that we're experiencing this. I think it's basically impossible to officiate the game consistently with the subjective nature in which games are officiated. That was kind of a mouthful. But to use an example, a prior example, where I think they did a good job, the catch rule. Nobody knew what a catch was a couple seasons ago. They had all this verbiage in there that was just minutia. Nobody could figure out what a catch was. The simplest element of the game of football, nobody could figure it out. And there was zero consistency in how it was officiated. Well, the NFL went back and they simplified it. They took all that garbage out. Surviving the ground and completing the process of the catch. They took all that mumbo-jumbo bullshit out that nobody cares about. And we haven't had an issue with it since. I think this body weight rule suffers from the same thing. I get that you're all about player safety and you're trying to protect the quarterbacks. I think that's great. I'm all for player safety, but I think the rules have to be clear. And they're not. It is so subjective in the way that particular rule, pass interference and roughing the passer, they're so subjective. They're not called consistently at all. Hands to the face is actually not an issue, which was the the kind of the weird thing about this game that's not even one of the rules that's been a pain in the butt. It's been the exorbitant amount of holding calls. It's been the OPI and DPI, and it's been the uh, the rough in the rough in the passer. It's out of control. But so so that was interesting to me, and that harkens it back to an issue that I think people have had an issue with calls and officials since dinosaurs walked the earth, and. 
just because Lions fan 69 on Twitter, whose real name is Jonathan and works at a coffee shop down the street, tells you that the officials suck doesn't necessarily mean that he's right. Now, they were in this case on Monday night. However, in terms of the hands-to-the-face call, I don't think that there's a whole lot you can do about it. They just blew the call. That's not an issue with the simplicity in the game. So I think it's two separate issues. And while I certainly feel for Lions fans, that likely lost them the game. I don't feel bad in the sense that, and the Saints did this too. I think you come off as sore losers and sour grapes when you're screen grabbing everything on Twitter. Woe is me, we're getting the shaft, when literally it's happened to every team in the NFL. The only reason this has gained so much traction is because it was on Monday night. And the second reason is because they had plenty of opportunities to win the game. You don't leave it in the hands of the officials. Remember that 30 for 30 uh, about the U where the Hurricanes go to Notre Dame and there was a questionable fumble call where it looked like he was down, but they called it a fumble. Notre Dame goes on to win the game and the coach puts it on in the film room, pauses it on that, and he says, I told you not to leave it in the hands of the officials, damn it. And that's what they did. That's what the Lions did too. They left it up to the officials. And in the final two minutes, you give Aaron Rodgers too many chances, he's going to beat you. You settled for five field goals, I believe, Lions fans. If it wasn't for Matt Prater drilling 50-yard piss missiles, it wouldn't have even been all that close. The only touchdown they scored was on fourth and goal when they got stuffed at the goal line and the replacement refs came back for a second. We had an homage to the Seahawks-Packers game, also on Monday night, coincidentally, where one ref came in and ruled him short and the other one called it a touchdown. That was the only touchdown the Lions scored. And I love Matt Stafford as much as anybody, but that's why I was hard on Patricia when they tied the Cardinals because they just couldn't find a way to overcome adversity and win a tight game. I saw a lack of that in the Cardinals game, and I saw it again on Monday night. And I get slamming the officials. It was a terrible call. They had a couple calls, huge go against them, and it's been a problem all year. A common theme is bad officiating in the NFL. I totally get all that. But on the other side of the fence, I just think it, it comes off a little bit of sour grapes. Same with the Saints fans last year. You know, I do feel for you, but... You had chances after that to win the game, too, and before that, so that it didn't come down to that. And I've heard the idea floated that you need an umbrella rule. review, Make everything reviewable in the final two minutes. And I think that you're just going to make it more complicated than it is now. You see how much of a disaster reviewable pass interference has been, and just because you review it doesn't mean they're going to get the call right. That has been clear as day. That's been the only thing we've been able to take from reviews is that just because you send it to a review doesn't mean they're going to get it right. So I certainly feel bad for the Lions in that call in the Monday night game, but I also think that there's a fine line between wanting the rules to change in the way that games are officiated to change and bad calls because bad calls are going to happen no matter what and it's just something you have to overcome and I know that's real easy to say sitting in my seat because the Packers benefited from it and won but the Packers every football team has had this happen to them the Packers had week two of last season a bogus roughing the passer penalty on Clay Matthews negated a Kirk Cousins interception that ended the game they in turn then went and drove the field sent it to overtime and they tied it really kind of ruined the Packers season 
uh, because then after that they had the Rodgers health issues. So it, it happens to everybody. And, and the one interesting thing about the Lions, again, too, like it happened to your fan base. I don't understand why we're so shocked. Do you remember in fall of 2017, I think it was like a week five game around there, the Lions played the Falcons at Ford Field and were driving down the field in the final minute to win the game. They threw a little slant pattern to Golden Tate, and he was diving for the end zone. He was really close. It was under 10 seconds. The officials said he was in. All scoring plays are reviewed, so they go back and review it, say, you know, actually his knee was down. He was short. Then they had to take a 10-second runoff because the Lions didn't have any timeouts, and it was under 10 seconds left to go in the game. So rather if they had called it short on the field, the Lions could have run up and spiked the ball and had another chance to score. But because the officials ruled it a touchdown and then went back and reversed it, the Lions lost the game on that. So, like, this has happened to you before. So I don't understand why we're so surprised that it's happened again. It, it, bad calls and these officials have been an issue for years. And if this is the vehicle of change that gets things done, I'm all for it. I just hope that it's just not another one of these bad calls, blown mistakes. Because it happens too often, and it really is sad to see the watered-down product. Alright, that last segment got a little rambly. I do apologize. We'll talk some 49ers Rams. It's just that I it's because I it was a tough I it's two sides of the fence, right? Because I hate that the NFL has watered down the product with the complicated rules and the officials. But on the, on the other side, it got to a point with the outrage over the Monday night game. It's like you've never seen this before. So anyways, let's get into the 49ers and the Rams because I've been completely wrong about the 49ers this whole season. They are one of two undefeated teams in the NFL. They put together a road win over a division rival in the team that has run the West since Sean McVay arrived in LA. And they stuck it to them. Outside the opening drive, the 49ers dominated that game. Nick Bosa looked like the number two overall pick. He has the last couple of weeks against the Browns, which I don't think anybody really is buying the Browns at this point. So it was like, show me it against these guys. Show me against the reigning NFC champs, your division rival who you have to play twice a year and who you directly compete for playoff spots with. Show me it against these guys on the road with some injuries. They didn't miss a beat. They were starting UDFAs at left tackle and right tackle. Staley and McGlinchey were out. Kyle Juszczyk, a very important part of their zone running game. The fullback, he was out. The, the weapons outside of Kittle for Jimmy G are not good. And they went into LA and kicked the shit out of the Rams. It was an impressive display of dominance by the San Francisco 49ers, the likes of which we haven't seen since the Jim Harbaugh era with Colin Kaepernick and that elite defense with Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis. They also had issues at corner because I think uh, Akilah Witherspoon is out. So they have issues in the secondary as well. And from a personnel standpoint, there was no reason the Rams should have lost this game. The injury, the injury gods were on their side. They had home field advantage. The uh, 49ers, although they were kind of coming off of a bye, I think they had the bye, then the Browns, then the Rams. I mean, those are those are two tough games right in a row there. 
the Rams have looked very bad uh, the the last last couple weeks of the season. And even when they were win- they got off to the hot start. What were they two o three o the first month of the season? And I think it's been three straight now that they've lost. Even when they won, and I watched them a couple times early on in the year. I try to watch every game, at least the condensed fifteen minute version of it. And even when they won, you could tell it wasn't clicking quite right. And it goes to show how important Todd Gurley is. He is to that offense. And that's why they gave him the big money. And since his knee's not right, just the mere threat of him was so was so great. It kept defenses in check. And it allowed Goff to play off of it, even if he maybe didn't get off to the hottest start. Maybe if their run game gets stuffed a couple times, you still knew Gurley and that offense could break one at any time. So you had to stay to it. You had to stay honest. And they just don't have that threat this year. And I like Jared Goff. I think he's more of a tier two guy. I think he has limitations. I don't think he's Carson Wentz. I don't think he's Rodgers. I don't think he's a Hall of Fame type talent. But I think he works really well in that offense with what he's asked to do. But clearly, I think he needs some stuff to go right to be successful. He's not one that can overcome with nothing. I mean, we watched Aaron do it on Monday night. They have Devontae Adams go out. Valdez Scantling and Allison both get injuries in that game. Valdez Scantling did come back. But then he's got Darius Shepard dropping everything in sight. And he's playing with a bunch of undrafted rookies. Because Equinemius St. Brown went on IR before the year. He was playing with guys off the street practically. And he was still able to get it done. And it's pretty clear Goff isn't that guy. And... I think that's a big difference between him and Carson Wentz and him and Patrick Mahomes. And we're seeing even Patty struggle with it a little bit because of the injuries that they've had in Kansas City. I think that's more of an issue with, uh, and we'll probably talk about this on Sunday, and we'll talk about when we preview the game because it's Chiefs-Broncos on Thursday night. So I'll leave that for later. But uh, for the Rams and Jared Goff, without this running attack, they look bad. And they're now having to replace these uh, these one-year mercenaries that they had when they went to the Super Bowl last year with guys they drafted, and they look like shit. Because if you take a look at the personnel on the defensive side of the ball, they're awful. And we're going to get to the Jalen Ramsey trade in a little bit too, but pre-Jalen Ramsey trade, Aqib Tlaib and Marcus Peters, you know, it sounds great on paper, right? Those guys... They're bad. <laughs> They're not good. I mean, I think Aqib Talib is still okay. Marcus Peters sucks. <laughs> I don't know how he starts. And they traded him and were able to get a backup linebacker for him for the Ravens. And, and I remember looking at that trade going, wow, I'm surprised the Ravens even wanted him on their roster. Because in addition to him being kind of just a bad corner, he is a bit of a cancer in the locker room. That's why the Chiefs got rid of him. So... You look at the defense, and now that they've had to replace Sue, it's like it's Aaron Donald, Michael Brockers, and a bunch of really nobodies. John Johnson the third, the safety out of Boston College, is a really good player that not many people know about. I love John Johnson. But the rest of their front seven, their linebacking core, is really not very good. They keep signing these veteran guys to come in. They did the same thing with Clay Matthews. They needed some edge help, so they got Clay. I mean, I've watched Clay for years. It's great that he's been able to stay healthy last year and so far this year. Happy for him. He is not the same player. He's he's more his name, his brand 
far exceeds what he's doing for you on the football field at that point. That's what the Rams are on de- on defense. It's a bunch of guys with names. And that's why they got their ass kicked on Sunday. Because the 49ers, who are for real with Shanahan, who is finally starting to see some success, came in and bullied them. Just bullied them. And so what's interesting to me now is because the Seahawks are really good. 49ers are clearly going to the playoffs. How does Sean McVay react to this? Because his fastball was, I'm going to run zone, I'm going to be successful doing it, and I'm going to run everything else off of that. Well, guess what? He can't run zone. He's getting stuffed. Uh, Brown and Gurley, that combination, it's just not working. So he's going to have to go into the lab and adjust a little bit. And I think a big question is, can, can he do that? Does he have a secondary pitch? Because when your bread and butter isn't working, I think the true mark of a great coach and great players, when shit's not going your way, when your your main thing that makes you good isn't working, and that's what Belichick's so good at taking away, can you still win football games? Can you find a way to adjust and win? And that's what I'm really interested to see in the Rams over the course of the next month because we talk about the NFC North as the best division. I think they are. But the top three teams in the West are as good as any in football. The Seahawks are maybe not the best personnel-wise, but that's a culture team, man. They just play bully ball. And and like I was saying through the adversity, Russ just finds a way to win and get it done. The 49ers are clearly talented. And the Rams are clearly talented, too, and well-coached with McVay. So it's not going to be easy for Sean. This is, I think, the first time they have lost a couple games in a row here since he took over. So how do they react to this? Do they do they come together in the locker room? I think you're really going to find out a lot about the LA Rams. And for the 49ers, man, just keep the train on the tracks because it is rolling, baby. Okay, I want to debut a new segment on this show that we're going to do every week. I'm going to call it the big picture. And we're going to take a look at a GM situation or decision. We're going to put ourselves in the seat of somebody running the franchise. We're not going to talk about, it's not a week-to-week. NFL is a week-to-week league during the season. We're going to talk about the big picture, the long-term health of a franchise or a given situation and approach it from that perspective. Uh, if you guys like this idea, be sure to be sure to give feedback because ultimately uh, this is for you and we want to talk about engaging things. So if you, if you hate it, be sure to let us know. If you like it, be sure to let us know. Uh, Jalen Ramsey traded from the Jacksonville Jaguars to the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams give up a first-round pick in 2020 this spring. They give up a first-rounder in 2021, as well as a fourth-rounder in 2021. Very interesting right off the top. The Jaguars' first-round draft picks in 2014, 15, and 16 are all now on the Rams. Blake Bortles is the backup. Dante Fowler is an edge player for LA, and now they have Ramsey. So that is that is crazy, uh, to, to say the least. But when you look at this trade on its face, we, we know the Jalen Ramsey rumors have been circulating for a while. It felt like it was pretty natural for uh, Howie Roseman in Philadelphia to maybe make a move to acquire Jalen with 
just the lack of talent they have in their secondary in Philly. It is tanking their season right now. But uh, ultimately, I don't think Howie was ever going to pay that price. And I don't blame him because I think what Les Snead gave up to acquire Jalen Ramsey was a little insane. And again, this is the big picture. So let's take a look at this long term. This is not the first time we have seen Les Snead make an aggressive move. He uh, was very aggressive in free agency when they went all in to try and win the Super Bowl last year with Ndamukong Sue. They brought over Akib Tlaib in free agency. They brought over Marcus Peters via trade from the Kansas City Chiefs. They brought over Dante Fowler from the Jaguars. They signed Blake Bortles in free agency. Now, that wasn't really an aggressive move. They paid Todd Gurley a ton of money. They paid Aaron Donald a ton of money, which was that's like the easiest deal you'll ever do. But uh, And then they paid Goff. And right now, the Goff contracts and the, and the Gurley contracts look like disasters. Uh, the Gurley contract in particular, because he's never going to live up to that amount of money. And uh, so, so first you have the history with uh, Snead and his GM strategy. Then you go into it, well, I think he knew if he was going to trade Peters, he was going to acquire Ramsey or vice versa. I don't think one of the deals gets done without the other. He was not going to trade away Peters if he wasn't going to acquire Jalen. So... I think he did a little bit of a hedge. He said, you know, we don't need Marcus if we acquire Ramsey. So I'm going to try and get back for Peters uh, part of what I'm going to give up in this trade with Jacksonville. But you have to look at cost to acquire versus the value of that player. Uh, The cornerback landscape, I think it's tough to pay corners. And I love corners. I was a corner in college. I think it's the hardest position to play in football besides quarterback. But you look at the landscape and how quickly these guys fall off a cliff talent-wise. And it changes too fast, I think, to justify huge dollars unless you are like a pillar of the organization, which Ramsey is not. He's not really, I would say, a high-character guy. Like Khalil Mack, Aaron Donald, those guys are really easy to do deals with. Because not only do you get the value that they bring on the field, you get the value in the locker room, and you don't have to worry about them. They're leaders and pillars, fan favorites in your franchise that you can build around for years and years to come, even if their play declines a little bit as they get older. Ramsey's not that guy. Very few corners are. You look at just a couple of seasons ago, Josh Norman was one of the best corners in football in the Carolina Panthers and Ron Rivera's system. Got huge money to go play for Dan Snyder's Redskins. He's a disaster. He's terrible. He can't cover anybody. You look at Marcus Peters. This is a direct example for the LA Rams. Had an outstanding rookie season for the Chiefs out of Washington. Well, it turns out maybe he just got lucky. He is basically a gambler who takes a bunch of decisions, jumps routes. He is kind of more of a me guy. I think even the gambling... Uh, for big plays is is reflective of that because he wants his stats. He wants his X amount of picks a year. And he just gets toasted every weekend. Can't guard a soul. Akib Tlaib is still good. He's maybe not the best example because as he's aged, he still has looked pretty good, but nowhere near the same guy. 
Richard Sherman, same thing. Pops the Achilles in Seattle. He is no more than a complimentary piece to that 49ers defense now. If you put him up against the best wide receivers in the league, there's no way. And he got roasted a couple times last year when he went up against some of the best guys. He just doesn't have the physical ability anymore because it's so hard to be at the top when you play that position. So based on that precedent, the cost to acquire versus the value I'm getting as the GM, because not only do I have to give up these draft picks, right? The whole reason he wanted to get traded, it was about money. He wants a new deal. You're going to have to break him the fuck off for him to be happy. And you already have a number of bad contracts on the books. I don't think this was a very smart decision for the long-term health of this franchise. I wrote about all the guys they brought into the locker room at the beginning of last season. And as it turned out, Sean McVay made it work. They absorbed all those personalities, no problem. Won the NFC, had a chance to win a Super Bowl. But I think McVay basically just covered up the warts of the negatives of this style of front office management that Les Snead has been doing. I think there's a very fine line in being aggressive and reckless. And at the end of the day, I think this move was reckless. Uh, I'd be really interested to know what you think. Hit me up on Twitter, uh, get in my DMs, hit us up on the Sunday Live Show. Really interested to hear your feedback on this. Uh, I would not have done it. I understand why Roseman, if he gives calls... Uh, the Jaguars gives a call down to, to Jacksonville. Say, hey, hey, what what are you wanting for Ramsey? They go, hey, we want. We're looking at two ones and a four. I he probably hung up right then. No way. Am I giving up multiple ones? And then I also got to pay him a ton of money. No way. Uh, no way would I do it. So so it'll be really interesting to see because I feel like this is a boomer bust deal too. It's either going to be a great deal for the Rams, he's going to completely change their defense, or it's going to blow up in their face. And Sneed said he didn't know if he was even going to talk about the contract this year. Usually when you trade for a guy that is kind of in a contract dispute, you're okay with breaking him off because you know that going in. Bears extended Khalil Mack right away. Uh, so that's, that's, that's a red flag to me right there. So we'll see. Really interested to see how it plays out. I'm not incredibly optimistic about it, though. And I think, barring a turnaround in the next couple weeks, we could be talking about now with them getting killed at home against the 49ers, and they've already been blown up by the Bucks at home. We could be talking about the Rams missing the playoffs. All right, Thursday night football. We have the Kansas City Chiefs, who have lost a couple games and are really struggling with injuries, heading on the road to take on the Denver Broncos at Mile High in primetime. The Broncos are three-and-a-half-point dogs at home on Thursday night. Let's get to the guys and their picks. We have Nick Yale's uh, ad drops of the week. Let's get to the guys, see what they think, then I'll give you my pick. Zookie Cookie, BOTB boys, what's going on? I had a fucking terrible week this week. I mean, just miserable. But you're always going to have one of these in 16 weeks. I think I got three games out of the total correct. So just brutal week. I don't know if I got – I think I got Thursday night right last week with the Patriots. I pretty much lost everything else. My lock missed. It was bad all around. This week, looking to get back up on the horse, and it starts with Thursday night football. But before we get to that – little fantasy update for you guys. 
waiver wire pickups. This is going to be a big week. A lot of teams that are sitting at three and three, four and two. Maybe you need a win. Maybe you're two and four with week seven here. Uh, it centers mainly again around the New York Jets with Sam Darnold back. If you can get any of the Jets wide receivers or tight ends, pick them up now because Sam Darnold's back and he throws the ball well. So that means Chris Herndon, who's coming off a suspension and injury, going to play this week, it looks like. That means Robbie Anderson, who hasn't had a great week. That also means Jamison Crowder, uh, who is going to be probably having much better weeks than he has had so far having Darnold back. So any Jets receiver, go ahead and go pick him up. They got a tough matchup this week, but uh, down the line, they got some great, uh, great weeks coming up. Also on the waiver wire, Josh Allen continues to improve. Josh Allen is a sleeper QB if you're looking for a QB on a bye week with that Bills uh, offense. The defense is really what's been great for the Bills, but Josh Allen is a sleeper QB to look out for. Also, wide receiver out in Tate of the Cincinnati Bengals, John Ross III on IR, A.J. Green on IR. Out in Tate, even though the Bengals offense isn't that great, it's a go-to wide receiver. Finally, Seattle Seahawks tight end Luke Wilson with Will Disley. Torn Achilles, done for the year. Look at Will Disley being more involved in that Seahawks offense with Russell Wilson because uh, Disley was a uh, was a definitely a target for Wilson in the end zone. So, uh, for Disley was a target for Russell Wilson in the end zone. Now Luke Wilson is going to be a target for Russell Wilson in the end zone for the Seahawks. So definitely check that out. As far as Thursday night football goes, I'm interested by this spread. I don't know what is going on with this. It's in Denver. Uh, the Chiefs are going on the road after losing back-to-back games. The Chiefs, my Super Bowl winner pick, have lost back-to-back games. And I thought they were going to be pissed off last week and pull out the win, and now they go into Denver, where it's a tough place to play for sure with that altitude change. But the Broncos haven't shown me much this season. Flacco is washed up. It's not quite October yet. Drew Locke will be in at some point this season. I do believe that for the Denver Broncos. Emmanuel Sanders on the Broncos side has been good. He's been bad. So depending on what Denver's offense can do, we'll kind of determine the outcome of this game. It's going to be a Denver offense versus a Chiefs defense. If the Chiefs defense can hold up, I have no doubt that Patrick Mahomes is just going to light the lamp in Denver, especially with Tyreek Hill back. Give me the Chiefs by at least a touchdown. I don't know why the spread is at three. Uh, It's got to be because the Chiefs have lost back-to-back games and the Broncos are at home, but the Broncos haven't shown me anything all year yet. Chiefs all the way. What's up, Zook? What's up, BOTB football fans? TJ Weber live from the studio today. Recorded live. Uh, Thursday night football this week. I've been on a roll on Thursday night football. I have been sucking at my locks. Don't listen to my locks for a couple weeks. I'll get back on the train. Uh, but I've been on fire so far with uh, Thursday night. Got New England last week. Uh, I think the week before Seattle got, or got the Rams getting one and a half. So uh, Thursday night, I've been on a roll. This week, I cannot believe the spread is where it is. CBS has it at the Chiefs minus three. Denver has been playing better. Joe Flacco has shown some signs of not being a total piece of garbage anymore. Um, but it's tough to play in Denver. I know it's an AFC West matchup. But the Chiefs are coming off two straight losses now. They need to win this game. They have to dominate this game. And the spread's only three. 
I mean, it could change. The line could go back to four, four and a half, possibly, if these odds makers kind of realize what they're doing. It's still Patrick Mahomes. It's still the Chiefs' offense. They're going to get shit done. I mean, Denver has a good defense at home. That's what scares me about this. If it was like six and a half, I'd think about it. At it, it definitely seven and a half, I would think about going with Denver. But Kansas City has to win. There's no way they lose three in a row. I'd be shocked. If they lose three in a row, this is the toughest year in the NFL that we've had picking-wise for quite some time. So, um, so I'm going to go ahead and take Kansas City here. Minus the three, I think it's a good game. I think it's going to be back and forth. And I just think the Chiefs, in the end, though, will win by at least seven. Uh, the spread's not enough. So give me Kansas City. Good evening, Mr. Zook. Big Web here. Hey, buddy, talking about the Chiefs and the Broncos. Broncos are a home dog getting three points. But I'll tell you what, I like the Chiefs in this game. The Chiefs uh, have lost the last couple, but that's because they've been up against some good offenses. Uh, I think they'll uh, be able to dominate Denver. Uh, I think they'll outscore them. Give me the Chiefs in this one, buddy. Talk to you soon. All right, there you have it from the panel. I have, and maybe it's a surprising pick, maybe it's not. You know, the Broncos have, I think, one of the best home field advantages in the NFL. Good teams go into there and lose all the time. If you look at the two home games they've lost there so far this season, they it was walk-off field goals that had to win it. It was the Jags in a fourth-quarter comeback and the Bears in a fourth-quarter comeback. Games they easily could have and probably should have won. Uh, now, the Broncos aren't very talented personnel-wise. We dropped that stat after the first couple weeks of the season that they were like the first team since the merger to not have a sack or turnover in the first couple games. They got Vic Fangio as their head coach and Von Miller and Bradley Chubb coming off the edge. Like, it's just insane. Now, the Broncos did lose Bradley Chubb for the year. Absolutely brutal injury. Guy has played like a stud since they drafted him out of NC State and uh, was really developing into uh, a, a true beast. I mean, the heir to Von Miller, and it, it's actually... It wasn't that far off, like to see to to see Von Miller almost drop back to the two, the secondary guy on the edge, and Chubb take over as like that that guy. So uh, brutal injury for them, but but KC has had a ton of injuries as well. They have injuries to the offensive line. Chris Jones will not play. He is their stud defensive tackle, really the best they have on the edge outside of Frank Clark. Um, in the secondary, I believe uh, Kendall Fuller is going to be out. They are really struggling. Brashad Breland, their corner, is questionable. They have injuries all over on the defensive side of the ball, and even when they're healthy, they weren't. They haven't been that good. Now, I like Chris Jones. I like Frank Clark. I like Tyron Matthew. I think they're doing the right things to try and improve and get better, but the group is just clearly the weakness of this team. And this is something I saw with Rodgers in his prime. It, they'd go as far as the defense could take them, essentially. Because the defense always let Aaron down. And when he had a top 10 defense, that was the year they won it as a sixth seed. And rolled off all those wins. Because any other time he gets into a playoff run, he'll win a couple games, but then they go up against a juggernaut, and the defense just completely lets him down. I.e. Falcons in the NFC Championship game a couple years ago. They had Ladarius Gunter as their number one corner. 
undrafted free agent because they had just been decimated by injuries and the defense was terrible. It was terrible. Horrific. So here are some stats for you. Kansas City possessed the ball for an average of 22 minutes in their two home losses against the Colts and the Texans. And the reason they possessed the ball for 22 minutes was because they could not stop the run. And what's the best way to stop Patrick Mahomes? Keep his ass on the sideline. And the Colts figured it out. They pounded the rock, they they shortened the game, and they kept Mahomes on the sideline, and they won the time of possession battle decisively. And so the Texans followed that mold, and I think the Colts were built for that game plan. So it wasn't all that surprising, and I really wasn't that alarmed. But then when the Texans came in and did it, it really kind of changed your tune a little bit, because that was two home losses in a row at Arrowhead, which is, again, one of the toughest places to play, like Mile High. They don't lose at Arrowhead very often. They lost twice in a row to lesser opponents. And the Texans are a team whose offensive line has been much maligned on this show and in league circles. They are terrible. Now, they have Laramie Tunsil now, and they're starting to play a little better and protect a little better. But their running back situation isn't good either. They have Carlos Hyde. It's He's not Saquon Barkley. Uh, so the fact that they were unable to stop them, I think, was very alarming. And then you look at the Broncos. Patrick Mahomes is not healthy. He's playing on a hurt ankle as well, in, in addition to all the tr- struggles they've had. So you look at the Broncos, and what do they do well? Well, basically, the only thing they can do is run the ball. That is the complete ethos of this team. Run the ball and play defense, especially under Fangio. That's why they brought in Joe Flacco, I think, to manage games, keep them in games, and they wanted to win games on defense and by controlling time of possession with Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman on the ground. And they've been able to have some success doing that. Are the Chiefs going to be able to stop their run game? I mean, I just don't see it. If you can't stop the Texans uh, at home, what makes you think that they're going to go into mile high and do it? So, uh, long story short, uh, I'm taking the Broncos in this. Home dogs, I get more than a field goal. I'm taking Denver. Uh, I think they're going to win the game outright. Uh, kind of a bold prediction. Uh, the Chiefs are clearly the better team, but at mile high in prime time, it's starting to get cold. They got snow in Denver last week. So, it, it is going to be a raucous environment. I think the Chiefs are going to struggle. I think the Broncos are going to be able to run the ball. If you do DFS, I don't know if they incorporate the Thursday night game into that. I would start Phillip Lindsey. Uh, I think he's going to have a big game, especially with Chris Jones out. That is such a huge loss for them. So uh, that's my pick. Broncos straight up. They are plus three and a half on uh, Bovada right now. So uh, that's my pick. And that's the show. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you guys on Sunday morning.